The text for this morning's service is from Romans 12, the verses 3 through 16. Let us read that together. I will also read the first two verses, which we dealt with last time I preached on this. There we read God's word. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. And then comes the text. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, every, of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 50, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when Paul starts off his letter to the church at Rome, he gives thanks for their faith. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. He says that in Romans 1, verse 8. That's quite a commendation, for that is what it is all about. Our faith must be evident to all. What if Paul were still alive? And he would write a letter to the church of Emmanuel, Edmonton. What do you think he would write about us? Would he also give us a commendation like that? Or would Paul give us a stern lecture? What do you think? No doubt that makes you squirm a little bit in your seat. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't think that we have to worry. Paul speaks in this text about the measure of faith that is given. He speaks about faith, and faith is known by its fruit. And there is no doubt that the fruit of the faith is shown here in this congregation. There is plenty of evidence for that. There is a great reason for thankfulness in this congregation. Nevertheless, this question should make us pause and think. For he speaks in this text about the measure of faith that is given to each one of us. And that has to do, as we will see, with the gifts that God has given us and the way that we use them. I think you'll agree that in the use of our gifts, there is always room for improvement, isn't there? And there is no doubt that Paul would also say that about us. For that is what is the case with Rome as well. And that is why in chapter 12, he gives that church some very concrete instructions, instructions that we all have to take to heart as well. He tells them that they must be living members of the body of Christ. And with the body of Christ, he refers to the church. In light of what Paul stated in the first two verses of this chapter, and which I preached about a few weeks ago in preparation for a new season, it is good to reflect on that. And there Paul tells us that we have been renewed, transformed in body and spirit through God's grace and through the word and the spirit of God. He has made us new creatures in Christ. And what that means, he works out now further in this chapter. Such transformation has made us alive, alive for God and for each other, but that transformation now also has to show. And so Paul, uh, Paul tells us that we must be living members. That's also the theme for this sermon. The theme is be a living member of the body of Christ. 
And then we will see that in order to do that, you must in the first place think, in the second place act, and in the third place love in the right way. And be a living member of the body of Christ. You must think in the right way. If you want to be a living member of Christ and of his church, then you must have the right kind of thinking. In the first sentence of the text, Paul uses the term thinking several times. And so that word receives the emphasis. He says, do not think of yourself in the wrong way, but in the right way. And that is in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Thinking, we do a lot of that, don't we? Our minds are always busy. We think especially about ourselves, and we compare ourselves to others. And then we have a kind of hierarchy in mind. We think that the one person is more worthy or more important than the other. That's also what it is like in the world, such as in a business or a football club or some community board. You have the man or the woman on top who is the president or the chairman, and then you have the others in descending order of rank. Everybody does their bit, but in lesser ranks of importance. The one licking the envelopes is much less important than the chief executive officer who is making all the decisions. And some people translate that thinking into the way they think about the church as well. The most important person in the church is the minister. He is the one who does the preaching and who does most of the visiting. He chairs the council and consistory meetings. He is the one who writes the bulletin. He is the most important person in the church. And after that, you have the elders and the deacons. And then after that, you have the lesser people who serve on the committees. And below that, you have those who have no official function. And because of the kind of thinking, they believe that they themselves do not have much to contribute to the church. After all, I'm just a member, and so let the other, let the important people, let them run the church. I really don't have that much to offer. There are also those who think the opposite. They think quite highly about themselves. And they think that the church is lucky to have them. Look at all the things that I am able and willing to do. It wasn't for me. This church wouldn't be functioning in the way that it was. Is that how we ought to think? Of course not. Paul says, if that's how you think, then you better think again. There is no hierarchy in the church. The one person is not more important than the other. And the one's contribution is not more valuable than the other's either. Paul compares the body of Christ to a physical body. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. A physical body has many parts. Some parts are more visible than others. And some parts seem more important than another but the reality is that all the parts need each other. And Paul even says that those parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are actually more indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. Brothers and sisters, 
great damage is done in the church when someone overrates his own abilities and contributions. Such a person is full of pride and therefore difficult to work with. He or she feels him or herself to be superior to other, and so he knows better. And he doesn't need to listen to other people. He or, thinks, he or she thinks that he is the only one who can do things properly. And so, don't you dare step on my turf. The opposite is also true. It may sound strange, but those who underrate their abilities are also full of human pride. Even when they are told that they do have something to contribute to the church, they stubbornly do not believe it. And in this way, they will rob the church of their services. And actually what they're doing is making God out to be a liar. For God says to each and every one of us that we are members of his body. It says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you, each one of you is a part of it. And so Paul tells us to think with sober judgment. How? Well, think soberly, first of all, with regard to the faith that God has given you. And secondly, regarding the gifts of, that God has given you. First then, reference to our faith. Paul says that we ought to think in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. What does that mean? Does that mean that God gives more faith to one person than he does to another? No, it doesn't mean that. That's not the case here. The fact of the matter is that there is no such thing as a greater faith or lesser faith in the Bible. God says that if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, that then you will be able to perform miracles. But what Paul means here is that to each believer has been given various gifts. And then he enumerates those gifts. The point that he is making is that those gifts must be used in faith. Faith is the standard by which you measure your gifts. And there are no other standards by which you should measure them. Do not compare yourselves to others. No, compare them according to the standard, the measure of faith God has given you. A modern translation makes that more clear. The New Living Translation says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. When you put your trust in God, then you have faith only in his strength, in his abilities, in his wisdom, and in his insight, and not your own. And then you see yourself in the proper perspective as a unique creature of God with your own God-given strengths and abilities. And then you use those gifts in accordance with the faith that God has given to you. 
And so Paul adds that we must also think about ourselves in reference to the kinds of gifts that God has given us. It's for that reason that Paul compares the body of Christ to a human body with its various parts, each part having its own function. It is a beautiful analogy because in this way he alerts us to the fact that we are not part of a lifeless organization, but of a living organism. The various parts of the body are connected to each other in such a way that if one part of the body is not functioning properly and is hurting, that then the whole body suffers. If you cut off one part of the body, then the whole body hurts. Do you hurt when another member in the church is suffering? or when another member of the church is no longer part of it for whatever reason. It is important to remember that we are members of one another and we belong together. That is how God has made it. And each one of us has a task. Each part of the body must do its, must do its task no matter what menial the task may be. Paul mentions those who have the gift of prophecy. He says, use that gift of prophecy for the benefit of the rest of the body. What is the gift of prophecy? Well, the catechism teaches us that we are all prophets, priests and kings. We have all been anointed with the Holy Spirit to that threefold office. Now, what do you do as a prophet? As a prophet... It says in the catechism, you profess God's name. It's as simple as that. Is there anybody here in this church who is not able to do that? Certainly you can. You can do that with those who are close to you in your own household. And you can do that with the members of the church here. You can also do that with those with whom you come into contact in the community so that they too can be part of the body of Christ. Confess God's name. And do that not just in words, but also in deeds. But Paul gives a restriction here. He says that you must use the gift of prophesying in proportion to your faith. Paul wants us to be careful here. He tells us not to do this in accordance with our own standards. No, he uses the definite article before the word faith. And so a better translation would be that we should do it in proportion to the faith. It is the faith that has been handed down to us according to the scriptures. In other words, he says, don't go beyond what is written. There are those who want you to believe that they have a very personal relationship with God. And that God is talking to them all the time to tell them what to do. He tells them, for example, to take a certain action or to go to some certain place. Evangelicals and Pentecostals are especially prone to that kind of thinking. They will say, God told me. And then whatever God told them takes on various forms sometimes to the extreme. 
For example, the well-known evangelist Oral Roberts at one time said that God had threatened to call him home if he couldn't raise $8 million by his creditor's deadline. God told him. Such revelations are always received to advance the agenda of the person receiving the revelation. In this way, they manipulate others into going along with what they want. And they make their will God's will. And they say, you had better go along with me. After all, God told me. And you had better not disagree with what God told me. Brothers and sisters, our prophecies have to be in accordance with the faith with the faith as revealed to us in God's word. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The gift of prophecy is a precious gift, and it is given to you in God's word. That means that you must speak in accordance with the scriptures and with what God has revealed there. Living out of faith means trusting him. It means you put your life in his hands, even when you don't know, which we don't anyway, what the next day is going to bring. What other gifts does God give to the church? Well, he gives the gift of service, Paul says. Well, that means, of course, helping others. Is there anybody here in this church who is not able to do that in one way or the other? God is not asking you to do anything that you're not capable of doing. There are many ways in which each and every one is able to serve the church even if it is just serving a meal to a needy member or helping somebody who is recovering from some illness to shovel his driveway. Each and every one is able to serve the church in one capacity or the other. What about teaching? Paul also speaks about that. Some of you may say, well, that's not something that I'm able to do. Is that really true? There are many ways you can teach others. For example, there are older men and women in this congregation who have a lot to teach others. They have a life of experience that they can share. Young mothers would love to hear from older women in the church. That's one way. There's many other ways you can teach. You have to teach especially by example. And over the years, God has given us many skills, especially the elderly in the congregation. Pass those skills on to the next generation. The elderly usually have more time on their hands than others. Why not also use that to teach and to encourage others? For example, also by getting together in a study society. And what about encouraging one another? We would rather complain about all the things that are wrong with the other members in the church. We're all very good at that, aren't we? That's our nature. Nature. 
we're good at complaining. And we do that a lot more than encouraging. And let's not think about other people when I say this. No, let's look at ourselves. And I include myself in this as well because I know what I'm like too. I know what my nature is. And we have to fight against that negative attitude all the time because that is what the devil wants you to do. And in this way, he wants to drive us apart. He does not want us to function as a body. Instead, brothers and sisters, we have to encourage one another. And the word that is used here for encouraging is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. It means to comfort. It also means to exhort. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And the Holy Spirit comforts and exhorts with the word of God. Can you do that? Yes, you can. Think of ways in which you can comfort and encourage others. And what about giving generously? Which Paul also mentions. How well do you serve others in your financial contributions? Most of the members in this church are quite faithful in that regard, thankfully. But there are also those who pay little or nothing. They want to leave it up to those who they think are rich anyway. Let them do it. But it is everybody's duty, even if it is only in a small way. If you do not contribute financially in any way, then you're actually stealing from God and his people. And then you're actually stealing the piece of bread that you eat at the Lord's Supper table. Listen to what Malachi says in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, he says. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. That's what God says to Israel through Malachi. The text also says that those who are leaders in the church should be diligent in their leadership. And this refers especially to the minister and the elders and the deacons. Thankfully, we have leadership in place here in this church who want to serve the Lord. And they have been given certain gifts. But it says there that they should lead with zeal. And to be a leader means to be a good example to others. You show that in the things you do and say so that others follow your good example. And we have all been given positions of leadership. And finally, he speaks about those who share mercy that they must do it cheerfully. Not because you have to, but because you want to, because you belong to the body of Christ. However, none of these things will do you any good if you don't also have the right kind of love. And that brings us to our final point. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that if you have all kinds of gifts, and even if you have faith, that you can move mountains, but if you have not love, then you are nothing. You're nothing more than a noisy gong. And that's certainly true within the communion of saints. 
One commentator said it very nicely with regard to love as it relates to the body. He wrote, love is the circulatory system of the spiritual body, which enables all the members to function in a healthy, harmonious way. In other words, love is like the blood and the arteries of the circulatory system. You may have all the body parts perfectly intact, but without the circulatory system, the body is dead. And the same thing is true of love. Without love, the body of Christ is dead. And what kind of love is Paul speaking about here? Well, you know what kind of love that is. You've heard it often enough. It is a sacrificial kind of love. It is the kind of love that the Lord Jesus gave to the church. Well, Paul says, emulate that love. And then he continues by stating that the right kind of love hates what is evil. We all hate evil, don't we? And then we will point fingers here and there and everywhere to show where everything is wrong in society, in the church, and with other people. But the one thing we have difficulty doing is hating the evil within ourselves. Well, Paul says, begin with yourself. Hate what is evil within yourself, first of all. But also cling to what is good. Why not try that after this worship service? Try to say only good things about your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You'll see that that's going to be a very difficult assignment. Because generally, that's not what we do, is it? That's going to be difficult for all of us, for me too. And Paul continues by stating that we must be devoted to one another in brotherly love and that we must honor one another above ourselves. And he uses a word here that has to do with blood relations. He uses that word deliberately. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are more closely related to each other than we are to those who may be physically our brothers and sisters or our children, but who do not love the Lord. The spiritual unity is greater than the physical unity. Not that the physical unity doesn't count, but the spiritual unity is greater. That's why the Lord Jesus also says that we must hate ourselves and that we must hate our father and our mother if they go against God's word. We must love them above, we must love him above all else. And when you are close to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, then you should not hide that in your heart from them either. Tell them. In study societies, it often happens that all that is done is just studying a Bible text. I'm not saying that, shouldn't, that that shouldn't be done. But what about speaking about your own life of faith as well? What about opening up your hearts to others? Telling them about your struggles and triumphs. As brothers and sisters, we should not be standoffish, but open and honest with one another. Of course, that doesn't mean that you have to blab everything that's going on in your life. No, you have to show discernment. But you should be able to encourage one another in your faith. 
When Paul says that you must show honor and that you must honor one another above yourself, then he does not mean that others deserve greater honor. No, but you should treat them as if they do. Do not push others to the back while pushing yourself forward. It's okay to let them pass by. And then you do that, not in order to gain another person's friendship, but only because you do hold the other person high. For you see, we're speaking about brothers and sisters in the Lord, and they belong to God. And we're all precious in his sight. None is more important than another. It does say that in the Bible that office bearers who serve well should receive the double honor. But it is the honor that God gives the person. It is not something you demand for yourself. Paul also says that we must be zealous and that we must keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't be lazy. Don't leave it up to others. And don't do it for yourself. Do it for the Lord. For the Lord God does not measure in the way that the world does. The world looks at those who produce immediate results and who are most visible. The greater the output and the impact, the greater the success. That's not how God measures. And that's not how we should measure either. And why must we be zealous for the church? Because we have been bought by the blood of Christ and we belong to him. He is the head and we are the body. And we must make every effort to make sure that the body and the head stay connected and that all the parts of the body are well served. We serve the Lord out of thankfulness that we may belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what a privilege that is. Paul gives a few more expectations with regard to the kind of love that we should sow. He says that we must be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Do you know what your hope is? Your hope is not something uncertain. No, it is the certainty that you have in your salvation through Jesus Christ your Lord. Oh sure, you have not seen your full salvation yet. But that is why it is also called hope. Through faith we know that we shall see the full salvation in Christ. We have a great future ahead of us. And we may now already taste of the salvation that God has given us. If you do not have that kind of hope, then you will not be patient in affliction either. For then you will hang on to your earthly possessions for dear life. And then you are not zealous to make a name for yourself on earth. Know that you know no matter what, God will continue to be with you and bless you. And Paul speaks also about rejoicing with those who rejoice and about mourning with those who mourn. Those who want to serve the Lord and his body will not be jealous of one another. No, when someone receives a certain honor, then we rejoice with such a person. We're not jealous. It would be ridiculous to think that the hand would be jealous of the foot or the eye jealous of the mouth or the nose of the kidneys. After all, they belong to the same body and cannot do without each other. Well, that is also the way it should be in the body of Christ. No jealousy, but rejoicing. 
Paul finally says that we must live in harmony with one another. In the original, he actually says that we must be of one mind. Does that mean that we all have to think alike? Does that mean that you have to think alike also in your study societies? No, it doesn't mean that at all, because that would actually be quite dangerous. For then you would no longer be thinking soberly. On the contrary, we now only see as through a mirror dimly, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. And therefore we need one another to sharpen one another. And so when we meet together in our society meetings and in our congregational meetings and elsewhere, then we do not always need to agree about everything. However, to be in harmony does mean that you have the same goal. It means that you want to subject yourself only to the scriptures. That you want to please the Lord. And if that's your aim, then you'll also get along. For then you do not want to please yourself and push your own opinion. No, then you are humble and also listen to others. And that is the final instruction that Paul gives in this text. He tells us not to be proud, but to be willing to associate with people of low position and not to be conceited. It's very sad when within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, some people are made to feel less worthy than others. And that happens. Some people feel looked down upon. Some people feel isolated. They feel lonely within the church. They do not feel appreciated. Well, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not have more or less worthy members. We're all precious in God's sight. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hierarchy. It may well be that those whom we consider to be of no little account are the most productive but we don't see it. We look at things differently than God does. Someone who is disabled, for example, or someone who has great troubles to deal with in his or her life can be a tremendous witness in this world. I see that all the time. Whereas those who with smooth tongues and all kinds of knowledge may be nothing more than noisy gongs, for they draw attention to themselves and not to God. Brothers and sisters, Paul commended the church at Rome, but not because they were doing things so well, but only because of the work that he has done in transforming them. And that transformation, as I said in the beginning, that transformation has to show. Does that show also in the way that you are a member of the church of Christ? How are you going to answer that question? in this season. Amen.